This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 1037, the game. Hey! Welcome, everybody, to the Must Listen to Saturday Morning Sports Talk Show in all of Acadiana. 1037 the game and under the dome with CD is live once again. Yes, it's not me filling in for the Jordy Holtberg show. This is me, myself, and I coming to you live as always from the beautiful palatial, dare I say, opulent and cromulent 1037 the game studios. Baby, we're looking good. We certainly are, and we appreciate you listening in however you're doing. So be it on the FM dial, the Tower of Power. The Tower of Power, too sweet to be sour. I'm funky like a monkey. Sky's the limit and space is the place. And we appreciate you listening in on that free mobile app, Amazon Alexa, Transistor Radio, Google Home, Google Nest, however you're doing. So make sure you keep it locked in because like DJ Khaled said, we the best, and we out here enjoying ourselves on this Saturday morning. Hopefully, you're doing so as well. He's honestly walked outside a beautiful Saturday morning, and honestly, it's been like that pretty consistently as of late. Now, mind you, what happens after the show is a whole different conversation for a whole different day, but hopefully, you're looking forward to two great hours of sports talk only two guests. I'll get to those in a little bit, but there's a lot of stuff to get to. And we're going to get to a lot of it, especially when it comes to the Houston Astros, a player tested positive, and the ongoing Mexican standoff, if you will, concerning the MLB. I know you're getting tired of hearing about it, but honestly, the MLB continues to make it a thing. But that's not where I'm going to start off on this show. I'm not going to go straight into my takes about the MLB. You've heard my thoughts on it enough. You've heard my thoughts on You've heard, if you listened yesterday during the Jordy Holtberg show, talk with Luke Montz for a good while about it, about what's going on and what his perspective is from a player, a former player, and now a manager in the minor league system. What this means for the future of the minor leagues. You can check that out on 1037thegame.com. Check out our on demand section. But more importantly, I want to get to something else that kind of popped up earlier this week, and it's all about what's going on with the world of college football and one matchup that got announced last week, or earlier this week, I should say, and I am absolutely looking forward to it. And it's got to be that big matchup that's coming up way down the pipeline. We don't know if Nick Saban's going to be there or what the state of college football is going to be, because obviously if there's no college football this year, that's a it seems less and less likely we see a thing happen. But we saw an announcement about Alabama, Ohio State in 2027 and 2028. And I want to get to that right now. 
with I talk, I called it the Saturday morning sports sermon. I decided to just call it the Saturday sports sermon. And I got to start off this sermon saying the best should play the best. It sh- You should not have these body bag games. You should not be booking these body bag games. There should be an extra emphasis on having the best teams play the best out of conference as well. Because at the end of the day, I and this is strictly from an, an SC, uh, South perspective. I think the SEC is the absolute best in the country, bar none, especially this year. I think the bar is set incredibly high. LSU coming off a national title. Alabama looking for a revenge tour. Dan Mullen in his third year. Can he get him over that hump and beat Georgia? Obviously, the Georgia Bulldogs are a part of the conversation. Texas A&M, can Jimbo Fisher get things done? you got new cats over in Mississippi. Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach, the Pirate. Where are all those pieces going to land? For me, it's without a doubt. I want to see more of this and less of, let's say, these body bag games. These body bag games in air quotes here. Saying like like the, the LSU and the Southerns. Those are great. I'd love to see just one of those games a year. Not playing the jobbers. Not playing teams that you're going to be clearly just beating the dog you know what out of. Like we saw last year with Georgia Southern, where we saw LSU's offense just completely house them. And then you play Texas, and then you play another jobber before you get into SEC play. I would love to see a setup where you're playing, and I think this would be an ideal situation. That way you know who is the real best in the world. And I'll tell you how to do it. I say you have, and again, this is just based off the current construct. I'm not going back to what I talked about a couple weeks ago in terms of the state of college football and how super conferences need to be a thing because that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here, I'm not talking about hypotheticals anymore. I'm talking about the real here and now. I think you book one non-conference game a year, and that'd be your opening game, and it'd be your biggest draw of the year for most programs, in-state rivals, in-state opponents. Let's say the Cajuns, they play McNeese State. Let's say the Cajuns, one year they play LSU, one year they play Southern, one year they play Grambling, one year they play Tulane, one year you play La Tech. And that's a solid six, seven-year rotation. And you can probably wind up seeing some really fun matchups, especially in the case of La Tech. And you see it become like a home-and-home, but you have a good gap between them, and you rotate in and out of these guys. And I think that winds up being a hell of a lot more entertaining than, say, you inviting over Texas Southern where the game's over at halftime, and I'm already sitting up in the press box getting the recap done while eating a nice uh, pizza. Hopefully we can have press box food in 2020, but that's a different conversation for a different day. I think you do that, then your other three games in your non-conference schedule, Big Ten, using the SEC as a barometer here, I say you go Big Ten, you go Big 12, and you go ACC. Pac-12 is left out of the conversation just in terms of the SEC. I think that if you do that, you have a long-term success rate. And you can truly determine who the best is. And you have the best matchups in those non-conference games. You have 
you really are setting yourself up for a lot of success. And the TV deals would be through the roof because think about it. You'd have LSU Oklahoma any given year, LSU Texas any given year. You'd have LSU Texas Tech, Texas A&M Texas on a more consistent basis than what you've had since Texas A&M moved to the SEC. You have some really fun matchups. How do you not consider the fact that you'd have Florida, Florida State? I know they do. I think they do play each other more consistently, but you'd have a whole lot more fun doing those as opposed to, you know, oh, hey, we're just going to go ahead and play these same old jabronis year in and year out. We're going to play these guys. Oh, hey, we're going to play the Citadel. Like, Alabama's going to play the Citadel week 10. That's not what's going to draw people overall. Give me the best playing the absolute best in the world. That's how you're going to wind up getting butts in the seats. That's how you're going to wind up making people intrigued about your overall product. Not these games where you know the you know the result is going what the result's going to be before you even walk in the door. If you don't know what the result is, you're going to want to be a lot more intrigued to go to the game and to stay there for the three, four, four and a half hours that a typical college football game goes. And that winds up making it a lot more interesting just to see how the college football playoff committee looks at those matchups. You don't have to question, oh, they played they played so-and-so. They played this FCS team. They played that team. They only played, they played week out of conference. Everybody's non-conference schedule it makes him look better. Iron sharpens iron. At the end of the day, that's where I'm at right here. I think we can see the best playing the best year in and year out. Not these gimmicky week one matchups where you put the best against the best over in Jerry's world. I'm saying home and home, baby. Put these bad boys home and home. I guarantee you those will draw top crowds. These will draw major crowds, and this will bring a whole lot of intrigue to the world of college football. If that thing hasn't been seen in a long time, you put everybody over. And I think the fact you have these occasions where, you know, you play a team like a Wisconsin, like an Ohio State, like a Michigan, like a Michigan State, the dream matchups are there, people. How can you not want to embrace that part of the world? I think you you're setting yourself up for a lot of success. Give me and give the people what they want and give the people what they deserve. And that is a college football slate filled to the brim with amazing games each and every week. You know, some weeks you'll have LSU Vanderbilt, but for the most part, you can have a lot of success by putting the best. I keep saying it. Best versus best. Iron sharpens iron. That's how we make college football a little bit better going forward. And just seeing Ohio State and Alabama be another example of that, give, give that to me. Just just hook into my veins right now, even though, again, this is 2027, 2028. And, you know, I think mean, who wouldn't love to see this matchup take place in Columbus, in Tuscaloosa? Trust me, I, if I was an, an Alabama fan, I'd be making that flight over to Columbus, Ohio, or whatever they're going to call it, because apparently they won't, there's a change.org petition out there. And I might get to that in the next segment, but how change.org is like the worst thing ever because they have so many ridiculous ideas. It's the sheer fact that they've got so many different dumb ideas being proposed. 
One of them is Columbus, Ohio. They want to rename it Flavortown, Ohio because of the ties to Christopher Columbus. I don't know if they're being sincere or ironic, but that seems amazing. And I want to sign that petition, but outside of that, I'll stay away from it just because I think Flavortown, Ohio sounds awesome. And why not have a Guy Fieri statue out there? That's a different question for a different day. But if you want to talk about the fact Alabama, Ohio State playing in 2027-2028, this sets up a chance to where I think several different programs across this great country of ours, if they want to have success, they need to do something like this and have every year these marquee matchups. And you have the best of the conferences playing each other. Because I think that will make everything more interesting. The 12 weeks are already entertaining enough, but you really can determine who the real kings are. I think that might be the best case scenario right there. If you're talking to me right here, right now, the world of the college football needs to have that. Because I think I'm tired of how it's like week one or week two, you get these Awesome matchups. You're so hyped in week three, week four, week five. You're kind of, hey, you know, whatever. You know, we get, oh, we got, you know, Cajuns playing Texas Southern. You know, we got this other matchup against these jobbers. I think we need to see more and more of the most entertaining form of football that's playing Power Five, playing Power Five, Group of Five, playing the best in Group of Five, FCS playing the best in FCS outside of the conference. I'll get to something else about the FCS in a little bit because Southern actually made some announces, announcements concerning their schedule change, and I think you might be interested just to hear what's going on with the Southern Jags football program in 2020. But I'll talk about that in a little bit. At 10.30, we got Chandler Rome joining the program. We'll talk to him about what's going on with the Houston Astros, everything going on with the MLB, MLBPA Mexican standoff angle. And obviously, with what happened yesterday with the COVID-19 positive test, there's a lot to talk about with that and more. And more importantly, we'll talk with Scott Rabelais at 1130. Get a little look ahead towards LSU's 2020 season. I'm going to try my hardest each and every week to drop a lot of these position previews this year because I, I neglected it last year. But I'm definitely going to be deep diving into this bad boy for 1037thegame.com. But I'll break him down a lot more here on Acadiana Sports Station with Under the Dome with CD. Not just for LSU, but for the Cajuns. I'll do the Saints a little bit as well because I think we all know who's going to be in the starting tw- starting 22, but it's always interesting just to have that conversation. But when we come back, I'll talk a little bit about the Southern Jags because they had an announcement yesterday with their football schedule getting changed, canceling the first two games of the season, and also the Clemson Tigers, their news. And who knows what else I'll get into. I was planning on having Hunter Herring, Washita, Christian, QB, commit for the Cajuns. But I hadn't got back to me. It is what it is. We'll move on from it. We'll be back after this on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game.com. Back after this. <laughs> Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make the rules and we will break them. 
Let's get back to the famous CD, who will break it all down for us. And I gotta be the best of all. That just cut and dried. I'm the best. Whether you like it or not, you're looking at the greatest, the best looking man, the best dressed man, long limousines, jet airplanes, custom made clothes, and any woman in the world I want. Just like that. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game and 1037TheGame.com. Coming to you live, as always, from the 1037 The Game studios. Hope you have a good one so far. If you want to get in on the conversation about whatever, 337-706-0111 is the number you need to dial, 337-706-0111. Or if you're not quite as confident of getting on the air, you can hit me up. At Clint Domang, at Under the Dome CD, at 1037 The Game. Hit us up however you can. Get your shots up. Hell, you can hit us up on Facebook. And, heck, if you got the the secret number to get to me personally, you know how to hit me up from there. If you want to talk about anything and give me some ideas, give me some topics to kind of throw around, why the heck not? But looking over, I brought it up earlier before we hit a commercial break. The Southern Jaguars canceled the first two football games of the 2020 season, this came out earlier today that the Jags canceled their first two games, including the home opener on September 12th against Florida A&M. The regular season opener was scheduled for September 5th in Detroit inside Ford Field against Tennessee State. Really weird how that was going to happen, but now you'll see the Jags open up the season in Huntsville, Alabama against Alabama A&M, and they'll be having their new home opener when they welcome in Jackson State on September 26th. So they had to make a lot of adjustments with their schedule for 2020, again, largely because of the COVID-19 pandemic, and obviously there's just a whole lot of other stuff going on with that. I think also you had them planning on going to Detroit, Ford Field. And as of right now, I haven't seen anything new concerning the Bayou Classic with what's going on with what's going to happen down the road with that. Because I think that's the that's the big thing for me is like the Bayou Classic is always just an awesome event, but I haven't seen anything in terms of the new what they're doing with that, what they're doing with that right now. I think we'll wind up finding something out about it down the road. But I know we'll be taking place inside the Superdome, which is a little disappointing. But overall, can't wait to see what's going to happen there. But there's a lot of other things that are worth talking about and. We talked about it earlier. The best playing, the best, or one of the best teams in the country is without a doubt the Clemson Tigers over in South Carolina. And they had a rash of positive tests yesterday. It was 23 players, I believe 28 total people tested positive. Yeah, 28 Clemson athletes at the like staff members and a bunch of other people tested positive for COVID-19 and that is just a that's just not good at all 23 of the positive cases according to the athletic were football players Ugh, that is just pabo to say the least because that one's putting a little bit of a wrench into terms of everybody's idea of when the season what's if the season starts on time and I don't know a lot of people are saying you know could this have been a situation where everybody got it but now you kind of it, it, I was mentioning this to a friend of mine. We were talking about this back and forth last night. Is the fact that when it comes to the world of 
college football in the NFL. And the fact that this is still kind of like, I'd say peak COVID-19 times, because there's still a lot of stuff that we don't know about it. Right now, it looks like a second wave has arrived. Could it be? Could that be the second wave or just the first wave and we're just starting to see it pop back up again? I don't know. There's just no way that I could tell you that right now because I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not Dr. Anthony Fauci, but I'm just using the general observations from what I've seen with Texas, with Florida, with a lot of these other countries that uh, – these other countries, states. <laughs> listen to me. I think it's the fact that a lot of these states have already opened up and we're seeing more and more of those positive cases. That doesn't mean these are, like, deadly cases, but you got to think about it. That's a lot of guys, 28 total. Now, I, I think I mentioned this last week. Is This is probably inevitable where you'd see a situation like this, like you saw with Texas, like you saw with Houston last weekend. A lot of players were going to test positive for COVID-19. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that we're seeing a lot of these coaches and players set up shop at home and set up shop in Clemson and using the same gym. And you can try deep cleaning that all you want. But anybody that's been in a high school gym – Especially the weight room. Let's just use a high school gym, for instance, because I've heard this story many times, and I can't remember exactly who said what about it. But I think they they basically said about well, forty cases. They basically were working out, and they had like thirty cases of mono. And again, mono versus COVID, a whole different conversation. But you know that that's a risk that you're going to have to kind of take when it comes down to it. Is to basically say we'll take this hit. In the month of June, obviously, when it's September, then you've got a lot of different problems at the end of the day. I know everybody talks about herd immunity. Again, not here to talk about the kind of scientific stuff on it because that's not that's not where I'm at. But I'm more just wondering what's going to happen with college football if these cases continue to happen. And we see these cases and high number of cases happen with regularity. We haven't. Again, keep in mind, we haven't heard much since from Alabama, Ole Miss, Arkansas State, at least from my and I can at least from what I can tell. Arkansas, Alabama, Ole Miss, Arkansas State, I should say. All those programs got hit hard by COVID nineteen. They they had like a handful of players. After that, we didn't really hear much about it. Now, if that's kind of withholding information, not saying anything, because obviously HIPAA law and all that stuff, that's fine. But we see with tech, especially Texas, for instance, Texas and Florida, we're going to use those as two prime examples because we saw a lot of those cases kind of come out. Ezekiel Elliott, for one, with the Dallas Cowboys, which is going to be a huge deal. The fact that that came out instead of Zeke saying, hey, instead of Zeke being like Sean Payton saying, hey, this happened to me, there's a lot of different ramifications for that versus, you know, all the other stuff that we could talk about with COVID 19 and how certain players and media are handling it that shouldn't have been leaked out that should have been handled and if Zeke wanted to talk about it Zeke could have talked about it I think that it was they handled it a little bit the wrong way and probably you know violated some HIPAA law in there I don't know but I think there was definitely something some violation going on in that piece and then we also had you know Texas they saw a lot of their the Longhorns saw a lot of players test positive for COVID-19. We, we just saw last night that Tigerland, like 100 people tested positive, and this was patrons, workers, the whole shebang-a-bang. And it, it's not looking great 
but at the end of the day, you know, put the mask on. You know, if you don't, you don't. I'm like, I can't tell you what to do, but I can tell you, hey, if you want to have college football, this is a step where we need to take. Do I see this as a second wave? Again, I don't know. I'm not here to judge and determine these things. That's Dr. Anthony Fauci. If he determines that the second wave hasn't hit yet, per se, it is what it is. But I think we are in the midst of seeing that because, again, we weren't seeing as many cases. And I think, I mentioned before, I think we saw John Bell Edwards handle this the best way as he possibly could have. Because I haven't heard as many of these cases with programs from Louisiana. Like a, the Louisiana Raging Cages probably would have come right out and said it. LSU would have come right out and said it. I think Tulane, a lot of tech, all those programs would have said something rather than not say anything. But just, just to say, hey, our guy says, like one of our guys says is a positive for COVID-19 or multiple of our guys test a positive. We're going to go ahead and undergo a deep cleaning. Over in Florida, you have several MLB players like the Houston Astros, and we'll get to that in a minute. And as the one player with the Astros that got tested positive, everybody else was fine. Everybody else was in the clear. The WWE earlier this week had several had one person test positive for COVID-19. I say several, I mean one. And then they had to basically kind of stop everything in terms of tapings on Tuesday so they could test everybody, wait for the results to get back. And that was a whole rigmarole and a half because of the fact it was performance center people and the entire staff, all the main roster members. It was just a cluster you-know-what. But enough about that. Because that's safe for the Cajun Strong Style podcast, which drops each and every Monday, right around 1 o'clock. Sometimes it may be a little bit later. Sometimes it may be earlier. We shall see. It's a week-to-week type thing. But you know what's not a week-to-week type thing? Our next guest, 1030. We're going to get on Chandler Rome, talk a little bit about the Houston Astros, what's going on with them. Is the sign-stealing scandal not necessarily is it a thing of the past? Does he think that the sign-stealing scandal won't be something that will loom large? Maybe what he's been doing in the midst of this pandemic. We'll be back after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Even in these trying times, the world-famous CD follows the simple words of Matthew McConaughey. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. So let's kick back and enjoy Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. Hey, welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. And it'd be a lot cooler if you did keep it locked right here because we got on the game hotline. I got Chandler Rome of the Houston Chronicle. Talk a little bit about the Astros and that first positive test. Chandler, how's it going? You know, it's just another day. Uh, feel like just doing the same thing, writing about prorated salaries for the eighth week in a row. We'll, we'll get to the prorated salaries in a minute, Chandler, because obviously that's kind of the big thing everybody is talking about right now. But let's start with the conversation about the first positive test that kind of came out yesterday. And this is the only one, correct? That they've had that they've caught. Yes. Yeah, so. No Astros employee, no other Astros employee, I should say, in either West Palm Beach or in Houston has tested positive, but there's a caveat to that. They really haven't tested anybody in Houston because they haven't had the need to. No one's exhibited symptoms, and 
Um, that's just not part of their protocol here. But in West Palm Beach, after the player tested positive, and it should be noted that that, that the positive test came several days ago, um, but after that, they tested around 50 people, and that's players and staffers and everyone that was there, and every other test came back negative. And I'm wondering, so what, what you're saying is that they weren't running tests because they didn't have a need to. Like, were they kind of following a protocol where it's like they were – were they at least taking the temperatures when people were coming in, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. They And they've got that at Minute Maid Park as well. Um, they've got temperature checked. Everyone's got PPE on except for the players if they're engaged in physical activity. Um, they're, they're abiding by all the health and safety protocols, but – the player that tested positive exhibited symptoms, and the Astros last night sent a statement that they were minor symptoms and that the player is recovering now, but that's why the player got tested, because he exhibited symptoms. And um, James Click intimated last night that no one in Houston has given them a need to be tested. So um, part of the protocol, I imagine, is that they're only testing players that are symptomatic, but I feel that that could change if and when, um, if and when a plan is agreed upon in the season can be restarted. And you think that like, you'd have a plan in place to basically try and try and test people, like basically not necessarily on a regular basis, because I don't know how like feasible that would be at this point in time, especially considering Houston is a relative hotspot right now, along probably with West Palm Beach. But it's amazing that they that there wasn't like a real consistent testing plan outside of the thermometer check. Yeah, but I think it, it, it's kind of important to note that when the when they reopened Minute Maid Park and when they reopened West Palm Beach, the facility that was in late May, and neither of those places were hotspots. They just said obviously now they are, um, and maybe that does mean that some stuff needs to change as far as protocols and things and um, the way that they are. Um, they, MLB will shut down. It was revealed last night that MLB is going to shut down both spring training, all the spring training facilities in Arizona and Florida. And then to get back in, you have to have tested negative for COVID. So those waves are already maybe starting to move a little bit. The testing is going to become a little more rampant. But it should be noted that, A, the Players Association and MLB have not come to terms on the health and safety protocol. So the teams don't have those yet. They don't have, like, what the most up-to-date, like, what they want to do for health and safety protocols. That's a problem. And um, in those health and safety protocols that have not been agreed upon yet, it's only been discussed that they wouldn't test players daily. It would only be, I think, every two days. And that's something that a few players were not happy with when it came out and they were pushing for daily testing. I'm not sure if they've gotten to that point yet. So um, there's still a lot to be figured out. So you mean to tell me the MLB and the MLBPA aren't agreeing on things? Uh, shocking, I know. <laughs> I know, right? I'm just sitting here like, wait a minute, they're arguing over something that they haven't necessarily agreed to at all. We're seeing that <laughs> with the with the deals. It's like, what is going on? What is the great? What is the major malfunction right now with the two parties? But we'll get to that in a little bit. But just looking at the Astros as a whole, earlier this week, I saw some reports that Justin Verlander out back on the mound, and apparently he looked okay. You know, the question is, like, could Verlander be ready to go, like, whenever opening day would be? It seems like it. He, he put a video on Instagram. He, a part of the players' big push last week was telephone and where they all kind of went on Instagram and kind of were employing Rob Manford to institute a season. And it was tell us when and where was kind of rallying, crying. Part of Verlander's tell us when and where sort of post was that he posted a 
video of him throwing off a mound. Um, he looked fine to me, but again, it was only a 10-second video, so I'm not, I haven't had a chance to talk to him in a while, so I'm not sure exactly how he feels, but certainly, um, if there is a season, this layoff was very beneficial for Verlander because, um, as we came to find out, his tricep injury and his groin injury were a little bit more significant than, uh, than any of us kind of knew in spring training. And in a normal season, he'd have probably been on the IL for a little while. Exactly. I think, if I'm not mistaken, this was kind of happening during spring training. So he probably would have been out until, like, I'd say probably mid-June, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, he, the, the growing surgery he had um, would have sidelined him for about six to eight weeks, and that's what it did during the pandemic. So um, he had the surgery, I think, actually, I think it was two or three days after they closed all the spring, after spring training shut down. So it was... I mean, it would have been they, the Astros could have been without him for. We're not talking weeks; we're talking maybe months. They could have been without him, and that would not have been a that would not have been a good uh, that would not have been a good fight, as as you can probably imagine. Yeah, it could be an absolute mess, just like how this whole offseason has been for the MLB. And obviously, one of the other big things that everybody has been talking about is the MLB draft that just happened this past week. And the fact there were only five rounds in this year's draft, we saw the Astros kind of lock down a couple signees including C.J. Correa. We'll get to him in a second, but what can you say about some of the guys that they've been able to sign, been able to get in the draft with only the four picks they had? Because obviously the first two rounds, they had nothing. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's tough to judge a draft, especially an MLB draft, like within a, a couple of days or a couple of weeks of it happening. you got to have to give it a couple of years. But it seems like they got a lot of guys with upside. It doesn't seem like they got a ton of guys that are proven, ready to go. Their first pick was obviously a high school right-hander. Um, so those guys are obviously going to require a little bit more seasoning. I think the most, probably the most polished guy they got was their third-round pick named Tyler Brown. He was Vanderbilt's closer um, for three years. And look, if you set the single-season phase record at Vanderbilt, which Tyler Brown did in 2019 when Vanderbilt won a national championship, if you set a single-season phase record for any Southeastern Conference school and route to the national championship. That kind of shows the pedigree that you have. So I'd probably, if the fans want to look for a guy that could maybe move a little bit quicker, um, that you can maybe see maybe in the upper levels of the minor league, maybe a bit quicker than this, uh, quicker than this, in this draft class, I'd probably look at Tyler Brown. But they've got some guys with some tools. They like Alex Sanchez. Obviously, they gave a $1.25 million signing bonus, which was almost $400,000 over his slot value. So that kind of shows you what they think of him and, um, kind of how much he was coveted. So, but he's an 18 year old high school right hander that didn't pitch in a game uh, this past year because of COVID. So um, he's going to have to he's going to have to come along and he's 18. He's got to mature a little bit body wise and um, he's going to be a long term sort of project. And um, that, that's just kind of how these things go. But I think for a first draft, I think James Click. You know, we, we can't really glean much out of it because it was only four rounds, but. Um, they emphasized pitching. They got two pitchers in the draft, and then they signed, I think, five more on the undrafted free agent market. So pitching was always sort of the – when you look at the Astros' farm system, pitching was maybe their stronger point. You kind of thought that they would go more position player heavy on the undrafted free agent market and in the draft, but they didn't. Talking now with Chandler Rome of the Houston Chronicle. Now let's look over at C.J. Correa, a guy who the Astros have tried to draft in the past – 
and wound up getting uh, getting him as an undrafted free agent. Obviously, this year's very different when it comes to that. A twenty thousand dollar max for these guys. What can you say about CJ Correa and how it seems like the Astros had been pursuing him for quite a while out of Lamar University? Yeah. So the, the thing with JC Correa is um, so. When the MLB draft was long, when it was 40 rounds, when you got into the back half of the draft, like the last 10 rounds, and when you started to see maybe, um, and I don't want this to sound disparaging to J.C. Correa because he's a good baseball player and he's going to be given an opportunity in the organization, but you, you started to see in the back half of the draft, you started to see maybe some throwaway picks. Um, one year, Johnny Manziel got picked. Um, they, 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 they picked guys that they know they have no – probably no prayer of signing, but they picked them either as favors in the organization. Um, you know, I think last year the Astros picked their media relations director's son, who was a high school baseball player, but he had no prayer of signing with the Astros. They picked him in like the 38th round. Um, they picked all of Craig Biggio's kids in that back half of the draft. They picked some of Roger Clemens' kids in the back half of that. So you, you start to see my point. They picked Alex Bregman's brother um, in the back half of one of those drafts as well. So those were sort of the picks they used on J.C. Correa, and I don't want that to be belittling to him because he made the All-Southland Conference team. He hit the ball very well at Lamar. Um, he is a player that deserved a shot in a, in a professional organization, but it just wasn't going to be maybe high on any draft board. So that's why the Astros picked him twice. They did it maybe as sort of a – um, sort of a hat tip to Carlos Correa um, to kind of make it a cool little moment. But J.C. Correa said the other night that he wanted to sign both times, but no, more important to him was graduating from Lamar. Nobody in the Correa family had graduated from college, and J.C. became the first one. Um, so he got his degree. I believe he got it um, a couple of weeks ago, kind of did a remote graduation ceremony like we've all had to do during the pandemic. And he's going to sign with the Astros, and he's going to kind of start in their organization. So um, a, a nice moment, and especially nice that J.C. got to graduate from college as well as for, for something that um, he can hold over his brother now. Um, he's, <laughs> you know, he's the only person in the family that graduated from college. Maybe Carlos will uh, be cool to try to uh, one-up and then do the same in a few off-seasons. I mean, he's already. I mean, for what it's worth, Carlos Correa has already one up them. He's got a World Series ring, so at the end of the day, it feels like they're kind of even. You know, and I mean, Andy got engaged on national TV, so yeah. So he's um, definitely winning right now. Probably so, but I mean, uh, but the, but the college degree is good for him. I'm happy for him that he uh, that he filled that dream because that was something that um, the Astros talked to him about, and that but he told them that he wanted to finish his degree, and that was good for him that he got to go do it. I'd have to agree with you right there, Chandler. But let's flip it on over to, obviously, what's causing all this. And the MLB, the MLBPA, the Mexican standoff, as I'm calling it, just continues to just build and build and build. You know, and one of the big things that I've just thought about is the fact that nobody's really talking anymore about the sign-stealing scandal. Could that could this have been, like, maybe a best-case scenario for the Astros, the fact that now maybe a lot of the heat's off of them and now all the heat's on the owners and Rob Manfred – not giving the players what they want? Look, I, I don't want to ever describe a pandemic as like a best-case scenario or something like that, but you cannot dispute that, that it helped the Astros, that, that you know this would have been one of the worst seasons in history for this team on the road, just in terms of the reception they would have gotten, in terms of things they would have had to deal with, in terms of 
trying to keep their head on street and trying to keep focus on baseball, it bordered on impossible. And that was the biggest question that they had coming into this year because on paper, obviously, they were a World Series contending team, but you just wondered if they could keep it together psychologically. And obviously now we will probably never know that answer because even if we do play a season, um, there won't be fans in the stands. And I, I think the questions about the sign stealing fans will probably be few and far between. And I think everyone's going to be more worried about you know, do people have COVID-19? Do um, How are you managing a 60-game season? You know, there are going to be more pressing questions than getting a more reaction to sign stealing that happened you know, three years ago. So while you never want to paint a pandemic as being like a best-case scenario or a blessing in the sky, um, certainly it took um, certainly it removed some of the heat from the Astros. It's a great point there, Chandler. Thank you so much for coming on, my man. I know you were on with RPE three and company yesterday, but with the COVID news, I had to, I just had to get you on, my brother. Thank you again. Yeah, no problem. Man. All right, that was Chandler Rome again. He was on RV3 Company yesterday, so maybe a lot of those topics were touched on, but honestly, I want to kind of chat him up a little bit about what's going on with the COVID-19 pandemic and that I learned. Apparently, the LB and the MLBPA are just arguing in general. They're they're like a bitter old married couple. That's what you got to love. You can follow him on Twitter at Chandler Rome. I'm going to take a quick time. I'll be back with more right here on 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com, where we won't be bickering like an old married couple. That's five guys' stories and lies. Oops, I'm breaking the fourth wall. Under the Dome with CD is far from your ordinary sports talk show. I am the voice of the voiceless. What other show has more pop culture references than an episode of Family Guy? I just don't want to be involved in any of that mess. Now, back to the famous CD on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana's sports station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Right before we wrap up hour number one, I want to get to something. I was going to use this to kind of end the start the 11 o'clock hour, but I said, you know what? We're going to do this now because, honestly, it was something that I thought about right when kind of you saw Dr. Anthony Fauci earlier in the week. And, honestly, I'll say I, I immediately thought about this analogy. Basically, we're all sitting here getting ready for college football to start, maybe NBA to start sooner rather than later, and then – Maybe like The Undertaker. Every time he'd come out, you just you're celebrating, the lights go out and you hear this. You just hear that. And you just all of a sudden you you start hearing the, the the gongs again and then the music starts hitting. And Dr. Anthony Fauci is right behind you telling you that the NFL needs to be used in this way it needs to have this and needs to be a inside of a bubble or football will not be able to take place here's the thing being in a bubble i talked with frank schwab about this yesterday it is impossible to do to be inside of a bubble if you're an nfl team that's 53 players not counting all the coaches assistant coaches everything in between the media there is absolutely no way you can safely do a actual game in uh, actual bubble football season. You can do it with 
you can do it with most definitely what's going on with basketball because he got smaller rosters. So hearing Dr. Anthony Fauci say that, it's impossible. I feel like he maybe a little bit fear-mongering a little bit, if you will. I think we see a football season take place. Now, whatever form it's in, that's a different question that I honestly don't know the answer to. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next involving the world of the NFL and college football. College football is going to be another big question, but we'll figure those out when we get to it, when we get to that point. Because there's a lot of different questions that we're going to have involving how the world is going to work and how the NFL's future is going to be in college football as well. Because college football, I mean, that's going to be absolutely a chore to do. But hopefully we do get to see the world of college football in our lives. Hopefully we get NFL in our lives. That's all we can do at this point is just hope. And that's what I'm going to do whenever I talk with him, uh, Scott Rabelais. At 11.30, we just had Chandler Rome on. If you missed it, we'll have it up on 1037thegame.com. Check out our all-on-demand section. But I also want to give you a heads up about what's going on after this show is done real quick. I meant to, I was meant to bring this up and be in Chandler just going a little bit longer than, than originally planned. It's Father's Day weekend, so why not listen to some old-school Astros games? And it definitely has a theme to it this weekend with a pair of games featuring Craig Biggio. Right after this show today, we'll air... Craig Biggio, when he became Mr. 3000 on June 28, 2007. Either that call, Biggio became the 27th member of the 3000 Hit Club, the first to reach it with a five-hit performance. And this was the second time in his career he had five hits. And then his final game of his 20-year career will air on, on tomorrow after chip shots with David Gary, which airs from 8 to 9. You'll hear that. And then we got NASCAR as well. This is going to be really cool stuff, so trust me. 1037 The Game has got you covered, even in the midst of a pandemic, with old-school Astros games and both from the year 2007. Can't wait. I've been loving it, what we've been doing as of late, and I'm sure you're going to love what we got for you on tap in hour number two of Faith 5 Father's Day edition. Hadn't done one the last couple weeks, so we're bringing it back with a special theme to it. Back after this on 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD. Keeps rolling on next. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. Hey! Welcome, everybody, to hour number two of two of Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Let me talk to you for another hour. Hopefully, you're enjoying yourself however you're doing. So be it you listening in through the FM dial. We're coming to you live, as always, from the 103.7 The Game studios. Baby, we're looking good. 
And also, more importantly, we're coming to you live on 103.7 The Game. The FM dial the Tower of Power. The Tower of Power, too sweet to be sour. I'm funky like a monkey. Sky's the limit and space is the place. Or heck, even if you're listening to us out in the great north up in Canada, we got people listening all over the world. Hey, the free mobile app is free. And you can download that thing worldwide and listen in through however you can, coast to coast, throughout America, and America's hat up in Canada. In fact, I'm looking at the studio clock we got here that I've got set up right here. We got a listener from Calgary, Alberta, Canada right now. So thank you for listening. And also, I think I've got, yeah, Niagara Falls over in Ontario, Canada. So don't you know, and let's get here. Uh, some uh, hosers in Louisiana talk about some uh, hockey, I guess. But I, I'm sorry, we don't have any hockey news to kind of talk about. But we'll talk plenty about something really cool because it's Father's Day weekend. And I was going to do this to end the 10 o'clock hour. I decided to flip these things around just before we came back from break after Chandler Rome and get to my fave five. I hadn't done one of these in a couple weeks, but I, I just hadn't had the urge to do it. And honestly, with the pandemic going on, it's kind of like we're changing things up. I want to see how things work. So honestly, I want to do a Fave 5 TV Dads edition. I know everybody does on Mother's Day the Moms edition. And honestly, I feel like everybody can agree that Claire Huxtable is number one at uh, top of the list. Because she was a mom. She was an absolute savage. And she absolutely crushed her role in that. But it's interesting just to see what people think about the best TV dads of all time. And I saw this pop up on our sister station, 106.3 Radio Lafayette. I've seen it on their Facebook page quite a bit. The best and worst TV dads in or dads in TV and movies. And it got me thinking about my Faye Five. And I think I definitely agree with some of them. Number one, I think we can all agree on. But it's also just wondering who else fits in that list of the best dads of all time in the Faye, in my Faye Five. So I'm gonna start off with number five, and I think it's an easy one because well, I mean, it's it's the iconic TV dad. It is the iconic TV dad. Leave it to Beaver. How can we not bring up Ward Cleaver? Because he was the dad. He was the, the quintessential TV dad of the of the time. He he didn't deal with a whole lot of heavy stuff, but at the same time, he did a solid job as a parent raising Beaver and Wally. So th- th- right there, number five is without a doubt Ward Ward from Leave It to Beaver. Now we get to more of the modern stuff. We get more to more of the contemporary stuff. And number four, I think is one a little bit further out of left field. If you watch Boy Meets World, you know me well enough. I ain't gonna lie. I love me some Boy Meets World. And a big reason why is just because it's a fun show. And the fact that the parents are always just so, they're always good to them. It's like they, they, they treat them with respect and they also, and they'll get hard. They'll get hard on them and they'll make sure they are, they know what the boundaries are. And I think that was absolutely what Alan Matthews did. He is number four on my list without a doubt. I think he definitely had everything to do with like making sure Eric, Corey, even Sean to a certain extent, bringing him into their family in a sense, because obviously Chet Hunter wasn't always there and seeing that kind of like relationship they had with every kid that Corey was like friends with, including Topanga. And everybody else in the family. Like, you could tell there was, like, a legit- legitimate love amongst the family. That was something that I always noticed. And he's number four in the Fate Five. I think number three, two, and one are going to be maybe a little bit divisive. I think number one will be undisputedly agreed with. But my 
other my number three is Carl Winslow from Family Matters, and it's largely because of the fact that I've like rewatched some like clips here and there on YouTube because I'm not I, I didn't necessarily remember watching like every single episode of Family Matters like I did with Full House and all these other shows because like sometimes it was on, sometimes it was it was very hit or miss. But Family Matters dealt with a lot of heavy stuff, like a lot heavier than any other show was kind of getting in on. Even Fresh Prince didn't necessarily get in some of the stuff. Like, some of the stuff in there was, like, mad heavy at the time. So, like, that's a big reason why he's number three on the list. Because Carl Winslow dealt with a lot of heavy stuff, especially there was an episode with him of some stuff that I think we can definitely say still kind of goes on. I'm not going to get into it, but if you just hit up the YouTube machine and see Carl Winslow, he's a, he's a really solid dad for the overall. I feel like he definitely belongs in that fave five. And without a – I think whenever I'm uh, – I, I, I got to – Oh man, uh, there's there's conversation to be had. I'm gonna throw it around. What's going on with the with everything else in the world of sports? And somebody just dropped a couple, and I'm not gonna put them in the conversation because I'll get to those. Those might be kind of like honorable mentions, also receiving votes. But I think number two for me, and it's always going to be that way. It's the classic like. Southern middle class kind of guy, and it's Hank Hill. Propane and propane accessories. Propane and propane accessories, without a doubt. I'm looking forward to like Hank Hill being. I look forward to watching like old King of the Hill episodes, and I think Hank was always hard on Bobby, but at the same time, he was always like wanting to make sure Bobby wasn't the type of kid that was getting his tail end whipped every week, and we saw him, you know. Kind of, set, it was amazing just to see like how he was with Bobby, and he definitely knew that he didn't want to be like Cotton and be a complete jerk to him. So for me, it's just a recap here. Number five in my fave five of TV dads, Ward Cleaver, without a doubt, old school TV dad, the iconic one. Number four, we got to go with Alan Matthews, Boy Meets World. Number three, I'm going to go with. Let's see, number three. Number three was Carl Winslow, Fame and Matters. Number two, Hank Hill. Number one, I think we can all wholeheartedly agree with 100%. Uncle Phil, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yes, he was Uncle Phil, but at the end of the day, he treated Will like a son. And that's what Will needed in the show. And just go rewatch the episode whenever Will's dad shows up and then he leaves again. That alone is enough to tell you what Uncle Phil was like. He was... He was always kind of the nice guy, but whenever you mess with him, like he ain't go play. Like there, again, there's an episode very similar to what we saw with you know everything else. It was amazing just to see what was going on with like how the show was going to go, how people were treated, and how Uncle Phil treated Will. Yeah, he definitely kind of made sure he was under control and at the same time he was so caring for him because of the fact that everything that will was going through the fact that he never knew his dad really and when his dad left the how come you don't want me man like just go rewatch that clip and without a doubt uncle phil is the undisputed king of tv dads even though yes he's an uncle but he's also the father of Carl- carlton banks and just, this fresh prince of bel-air is a show that needs i feel like gets a lot of love and it's justifiably so that's where my fave five's at right here, right now. Because I think at the end of the day, that's where it needs to be. If you agree with me, if you disagree with me, 
The game hotline is open, 337-706-0111. And i got to gotta drop through the text line. Again, this is my anonymous text line. If you know my number, you know how to get to me. And they dropped in. And a couple couple bangers, I feel like, you know, and the two, I got to agree with both of them, but they deserve a little honorable mention. Tend to Tool Man Taylor. It wasn't about the fact that he basically almost burnt down the house multiple times. I'd agree with that. And then Coach Taylor for Friday Night Lights. That's a strong one. That's a strong one. I wasn't necessarily going that route, but Coach Taylor is a damn good one. I am disappointed I did not think about that. Again, this is coming from the anonymous text line. If you want to be up, hit me up through there on Twitter at Clint Doming, at Under the Dome CD, or even at 1037 The Game. Hit us up with your Fave 5 TV dads, or you just the best TV dad of all time. I think Uncle Phil is going to be an undisputed winner on this list. But we're going to go ahead and take a quick time out. And when we come back, we'll talk about a different kind of hotline. And we're going to talk about the snitch line that the NBA is going to have inside their bubble, which just brings a, a, a real big, like, cheesy smile on my face because of the fact that there is a snitch line for the NBA. And who's going to be the first one to snitch? Is it going to be LeBron? Is it going to be Chris Paul? But also, I have a lot of fun with that, just straight up. We'll keep it rolling right around the corner with more Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but under the dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These guys to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. And welcome back under the dome with CD, back at it again. And I mentioned the NBA earlier, and before I get to some of the stuff about the snitch line, they dropped some info. This is coming from Woj, the Woj bombs, and it was also almost a battle of who's going to break what. Because Shams Terrania dropping the NBA transaction window going to be going down next, I mean, actually, no, it's going to be June 23rd. So this is going to be starting on Tuesday. And then the thing will run through June 30th, 11.59 p.m. Eastern time. But then Woes drops this one not long after. Now the NBA draft will get a new date. It's going to be starting later on October the 16th. The early entry deadline is going to be August 17th. And free agency will begin on October the 18th. So keep that. Oh, that's a lot of stuff to keep in mind when it comes to the NBA and what's going to happen during the offseason. But, of course, we're talking about the regular season. And towards the end of the month, oh, boy. It's going to be a lot of fun to see what happens with the state of the NBA and what's going to happen with the snitch hotline. And it's immediately where my mind went to because, first of all, you know, I immediately think about the wire. A man got to have a code. But as I was kind of, I was like, right when I heard about it, I was immediately trying to come up with sound bites to use when talking about the NBA snitch line on this show. And this is also before I found out that I was filling in for Jordy Holper yesterday. So I was already kind of thinking about this, and I immediately, somehow I found this clip from you know the the episode of Boondocks, and for once we're actually use a clip from the Boondocks that we can't actually use. 
If you know, you can tell me. I won't tell anybody. Jasmine, are you wearing a wire? I just find it amazing the fact that they actually had a situation where they were doing a snitch like episode, and that's literally what this is to a certain extent. When you think about the NBA snitch line, to a certain extent, it does. Like, you can about imagine the second like you're being like you're having a conversation like let's say Chris Paul or LeBron James or somebody else with the immediate family. There's someone who's probably gonna try and pull something like this off. If you know, you can tell me. I won't tell anybody. Jasmine, are you wearing a wire? This <laughs> is amazing, and it, it makes you wonder what's going to happen with like the snitching all throughout the season. What the hell is this? A snitchathon? Man, it snitches everywhere. They under the bed too. It's <laughs> just going to be amazing to see what happens with snitching in the NBA. Because my, I think the biggest question that I've had like all week. Since hearing about this, like there was a 100-page document that was dropped earlier this week. And I sat there, not necessarily reading it, but glancing over some of the big focal points. And some of them make a lot of sense. But it's just like, it's there's a lot of things that you can't do if you're underneath this entire thing. And it's amazing. So I think that Chris Paul is going to be the one to really, be, really break all this down and... I'm just going to say, Chris Paul, without a doubt, is going to be the one to do it. If not him, it's LeBron. LeBron is going to wind up, wind up snitching. And I, I wonder who, like, it just makes you think, who's going to be the Takashi 6 9 in all this and break the snitching, the no snitching policy and pretty much tell everybody what's going on and how this is going to go? Because it's absolutely hysterical to me. The fact that there is a snitch hotline, and the game hotline is not bad. The game hotline isn't where you snitch, but you can talk to me about the NBA or whatever, 337-706-0111. Because you know LeBron. He would probably want to try, and just to solidify his GOAT status, he'd try and snitch on Kawhi Leonard, the the Clippers, the Bucks. He'd be trying to snitch on anybody. But the real irony of all this is the fact that you've got the NBA saying, hey, you guys can't do this. You guys got to, like, we're going to wag the finger at you. If you test positive for COVID or, or we're going to, if somebody snitches on you, it's anonymous. Trust me, there's no way this thing's going to be anonymous. Something's going to slip. Somebody's going to say something and we'll find out who the real snitch is. And it'll be an absolute mess. People are going to rap like nobody else. And it's going to be amazing because it's going to cause a, a big rift. And I wouldn't be surprised if it just continue. It, if that thing continues to just be, is going to be wild, but we're all just sitting here wondering, is there going to be an NBA season at all? What's going to happen with this season? Like With everything going on in Florida right now, they're in the midst of a spike, especially in Orange County, Florida. I mentioned earlier, WWE superstars, they were being tested like crazy. And that's that was what really kind of ticked me off earlier in the week is the fact that WWE superstar, a superstar, or should I say a performance center like trainee, tested positive for COVID. And then they started testing. They weren't testing before, and then they tell them, hey, then allegedly, this is coming from a bunch of different sources, Kevin Dunn told the actual people with the company not to wear masks. What the actual you-know-what is going on with that? Like, imagine if you were, like, the NBA or the NFL, and you were able to have, like, fans, and I'm using air quotes here with fans. Let's say you got 
like family members who are wanting to go watch the game and they aren't allowed to wear masks, there would be a full-scale investigation into this, and there would be people just wanting to just have the head. What like what is going on here? And then you have a, a segment where the Street Profits are out there set, like, partying with the fans. Whenever they're supposed to be socially distant, just so much was wrong with that. It, it frustrates me to know in what's going on with that, but it's just it's a mess and a half. And this all kind of happened within like the same day. The same day. But I'm going to lighten up a little bit because yesterday was a great day. It was a momentous day, momentous occasion here on Acadiana Sports Station with the smack-off, the All-American smack-off yesterday. And without a doubt, I was I wound up catching up on the last hour of the show because I missed the last hour. I'm busy trying to make sure me filling in for Jordy Holberg is on point. Everything is taken care of. Guests are locked in, ready to go. So the last hour I wasn't able to really listen to, so I wound up catching it on the replay. Muchos gracias to Snuck to Stucknut. The man is absolutely on point with everything. Stephen H. Town, thank you for putting up all these clips of Smack Off 26 and all the other great history-making moments of the, of the great calls, sometimes the really bad calls, the calls that get people blocked, the faxes that get people blocked, the takes that Jim Rome spits out. But I'm going to play one in particular. That's Left in Laguna, the winner, the three-time champion of the Smack Off, Left in Laguna. He had one hell of a call. Hey, I love the Smack Off article in the big lead yesterday, especially the part where Mike and Indy wasn't mentioned at all. Mike, did you really just compare your jungle career to the MJ documentary? I'd say it's more like that crying Jordan meme with all that complaining you do, and Rick in Buffalo, no wonder you talk so much trash about your late father just now. Bro, he did you so ugly. I'm pretty sure when the doctor delivered you, he put you in the hazmat can and handed your dad the placenta. Jimmy, Rick is so short, the only Buffalo tables he slams are those tiny white ones that rest in the middle of a pizza. Bro, your voice is so creepy, it sets off the Amber Alert on my iPhone. Uh, Jim, honestly, Callan Vegas' call was the best thing I've ever heard. But, dude, did you call someone else a gimpy midget? Bro, do you own a mirror? Because judging by those golf picks you sent last month, apparently the polio vaccination has not made its way to Las Vegas. Hey, Jimmy, I love the NBA playing basketball games at Disney World. couple questions, though. How is Steven Adams going to be an NBA player and work at Pirates of the Caribbean? What are they going to call this guy, Captain Hookshot? And instead of Mickey Mouse ears, is everyone going to rock those Adams silver ears? But, uh, hey, memo to NBA players, there's no strip clubs at Disney World. So you'll need to head over to the Toy Story ride if you want to catch a and you said all week how important it was to sound crystal clear and call with a hard line. I know I sound pretty good, so here's my hard line. I hate Brad and Corona so much, I hope he has a heart attack next time he plays charades. Oh, uh, 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 holding your arm, uh, laying on the ground in pain. Brad? Brad? That was an absolutely savage call. Like, I'm going to be honest with you, that's probably one of the most savage calls I've heard in Smackoff history, and you know, left him going to give him all the credit in the world. He did not have a gimmick. He did not like go in and say, "Hey, I'm going to try and get this Z-list celebrity." He handled it really well. That being said, I've got some other thoughts about the Smackoff, and like, Smackoff 26 was a great success in my mind, and I thought it was fun. But I've got some really big thoughts about just how smack-off history has been over the years, and more importantly, how stale it's kind of gotten. 
Because you look at the top ten over the last few years, it's all the same guys. You see the same kind of cats pop up. How was I afraid he? Number six in these rankings. I afraid he was the first call. He did not deserve to be in that spot. He probably deserved to be towards the bottom, you know, because I afraid he was just too long, too boring, and I sat there wondering what is going on. But I'll save my thoughts on the smack off for a little bit later because I really am going to go in on it during one final take. We're going to have Scott Rabelais on in just a few moments. But a couple other big headlines talked about in the two-minute drill. You've got the Belmont Stakes, and it is going to be happening today. The Triple Crown season, the beginning of it, is upon us. And it's wild to think that the fact that the Belmont Stakes, and it, it kind of just crept up on me. I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, I brought it up to Jordy and had just found out about the fact Belmont Stakes were actually happening. And again, you got the Preakness and the Kentucky Derby pushed back. You got the Kentucky Derby going to be the first week of college football season, September 5th and October 3rd. So this is going to be wild to see the first time in history the Belmont stays the longest leg of the Triple Crown, being the first crown jewel inside this Triple Crown. And it's going to be one, it's going to be run at a shorter length. Instead of one and a half, it's going to be one and one eighth. And it's going to be a race without fans in attendance, which is going to be just different in general. And, of course, mentioned it earlier in the two-minute drill, Tis the Law going to be the strong favorite, standing at 6-5 to five odds. Sol Volante, 9-2 to two odds. The long shots in this one, four left in the sixth slot, in the sixth post position, going to be 30-1 to one odds. Jungle Runner, 50-1 to one odds in the seven post. So it's interesting to see six and seven be so, like, big long shots. And then Tis the Law is in the eighth spot in that pole, in that post position. Going to be going six to five odds. Tis the Law going to be the one you want to try and put some money on. Try and get our regular horse person on. Candace Hare chatted her up, but did not, like, pop up. Like, she was not necessarily able to come on the program, and I was more than okay with that. Because we're cool. And we, we've had her on many times before. Things just didn't necessarily work out. There's a lot of different things going on. Obviously, with Triple Crown and TVG, was not able to get her. More than okay with that. So hopefully, you can live without the fact that I'm not going to talk a whole lot about the horses. I'm not Mike Francesa. I'm not going to be talking about the horses for courses and talking about like all the stuff that I feel like maybe you know you could want to probably checking out online and just do a quick Google search of what the odds are and who, who the favorite is, and who's the underdog. Could the underdog win at all? You can wind up just pulling up some different conversations about it. Would have loved to have her, but, you know, it is what it is. Going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, we're going to have on Scott Rabelais. Going to talk a little bit of LSU. Look ahead to the 2020 season. Hopefully, we do have that 2020 season. And, you know, just a kind of just overall conversation about the state of LSU. Scott Woodward's statements on the Paul Feinbaum show. Trust me, a lot of things that we can get to. We'll do that next. You're listening to Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. And we'll be back after this. Or should I say, back after this. The 
famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. Fuel Manchester United, suppose. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. We're not talking um, uh, football. We're talking some football right here on 103.7 The Game on Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And to continue the conversation about some football, we got to go over to the game hotline, talk with Scott Rabelais of The Advocate, especially when it comes to LSU football. Scott, how's it going? It's going well, but West Ham United is playing Wolverhampton right now on, on my television. I have to I have to tell you, uh, if it was a college football game, I'd be watching it, but but that's what's going on right now. So Yeah, it might be a while before we get a college football game, but might as well enjoy a little <laughs> bit of soccer. More more of a Manchester United fan. They they tied yesterday, so I was a little disappointed in that and wasn't able to watch it. That was the, that was even more the disappointing part because I was having to be on air, so wasn't able to kind of catch that. But I'm glad I'm glad you're out there enjoying some West Ham taking on the Wolves. But Scott, you know, let's just right. start things off. Obviously, with what everybody's been talking about over the last 24 hours, is Scott Woodward making a visit to the Paul Feinbaum show and saying that wearing masks is definitely in play. Are you surprised by that, or was it just basically him saying the right things? No, not at all. I mean, first of all, throughout this whole this whole lockdown and trying to get back going again, Scott has been uh, optimistic about football being played and there being fans in the stands. Of course, what form that takes is, has always been the, you know, the the big unknown, and it still is. I think they've got a few more weeks, probably about three more weeks or so before they have to make, try to make any firm decisions. But uh, I think you know he'd like to see as many people in the stands as possible, obviously. Uh, you know, it's good for the fans. It's good for LSU's you know, bottom line. And then uh, – and to do that, I, I just don't see any way that you're not going to, uh, other than having some social distancing, I don't see you have any way to do that without having uh, having people wear, wear masks in the stands and maybe take uh, have temperature checks at the gates and uh, certain uh, certain times to, to go in. Again, we've heard no firm plan from LSU, but, but when I talked to Scott a couple of weeks ago, we had him on for a town hall on the Advocate uh, website, NOLA.com. We... Um, he talked about, you know, he kind of liked some of the, so maybe taking some, some cues from other teams and franchises like the Miami Dolphins said, you know, you're going to go in the stadium at a certain time, you're going to, you're going to leave by rows, you know, that, that sort of thing, a certain percentage in the stands. And he, he's hopeful they're going to have a lot of people in the stands. That means north, doesn't mean a full house, but north of 50%. And I have to agree that it's like north of 50% feels a little optimistic at this point in time, but I'm sure that might yeah. be, that might it just, Especially considering the fact that what we saw yesterday with around Tigerland, we saw like a hundred cases pop up amongst patrons and workers over in those Tigerland bars. That that's starting to feel a little bit more like extremely optimistic. Yeah, I, I, you know, we've, everybody's been focused on you know, how, how like you know, some of these pro leagues going to resume, like you know, this bubble they want to create for the NBA. Having everyone at one site at Disney World, for example, and playing and 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 keeping you know they're limiting their their exposure to to people outside the team and the and the uh, you know, the officials and you know stuff like that. I, I think you have to have something like that for for college football as well. I think you're going to have to limit their exposure to 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 classes and, and stuff like that. And, 
and try to keep them, you know, uh, as, as isolated as possible. Because otherwise you're going to have, you're definitely going to have someone catch something from somebody. Uh, is, is that all workable? I, I don't know. But I, I think uh, as far as the bubble goes, but I think you could have classes. You, players can take classes online. You know, you have to think creatively. And they, that would, to me, mean like, you know, bring in, a, bring in an instructor for a class and have a class on the floor of the assembly center with people spaced out, or in the or in the Carl Maddox Field House, or in the football operations facility. There are large spaces to be used on campus uh, for learning and and for for instruction that you know, don't fit the norm, but it could have to be the norm under these circumstances. So I'm looking forward to hearing if there are any plans like that because I think if you just have a just a, a, a traditional mixing of whatever students are on campus the, this fall and football players and instead and, and you, you're going to have people who come down with coronavirus and then you, the whole season could be in jeopardy. Exactly. It's all right now with Scott Rabelais of The Advocate. That's the big thing. It's just like everything is in jeopardy if one person kind of catches this and we just don't know when or where that could be. And we're just sitting here. It feels like you're, you're just sitting on a ticking time bomb, if you will. I mean, we look at what happened over at Clemson yesterday. We're sitting here and we see – 28 total people involved with Clemson, 23 of them players, all catch COVID, all test positive for COVID-19. And from what reports is basically uh, apparently might not be all, they might all be asymptomatic, but still that's, it's, that's a risk. Yeah. There've been no reports yet of uh, any players who, student athletes who returned to campus with, uh, with anything. I, uh, you know, yeah, I would be surprised if there's not somebody. But, uh, you know, hopefully you're dealing with young people and young people tend to be, uh, you know, peak physical health and they're the student athletes. And hopefully they can be, you know, most of them are asymptomatic. And so maybe just a little quarantining and, and, and precautions, lots of testing. Fortunately, the testing is pretty much available now uh, to, to what they need to do to do it frequently. So, so those, those things can be good. It's if you're going to have it, it's a good time to have it right now. If you're going to have a bunch of people with coronavirus, I'm not making light of the situation, but chances are most of those, those uh, you know, young student athletes are going to be fine. It's just a matter of not, uh, you know, not, not making it worse, or people haven't got people have to be hospitalized or like that. That's when you get to another level. Exactly. There's there's just a lot of different questions with that because when it comes down to it, you're just wondering where where things go from there. But let's just kind of flip it on over to just football in general right now, because mm-hmm. I think one of the big stories that popped up yesterday, Eric Monroe transferring out. What does this mean for the kind of the safety position losing a guy like that? Well, that's never good. Obviously, uh, <laughs> to, uh, to to lose somebody to to the the transfer portal portal, but uh, you know. I there's still a lot of depth there. You know, Eric played some last year, only had a handful of tackles. Obviously, I'm sure they, they would have counted on him in the depth position. But he's not a player who was you're expected to be fighting for a starting spot or something. In fact, I did a uh, I did a preseason LSU preview for Athlon Magazine, which should be coming out pretty soon. Shameless plug. And uh, you know, we had you know, projected like Jacoby Stevens and Todd Harris to be the, the starters at safety, Kerry Vincent and, and uh, Maurice Hampton as their backups. And then, you know, Vincent is somebody who you often see as a nickelback. So, yeah, it hurts the depth a little bit. But this is, you know, of all the areas of LSU's team, this is the area where you where they lost a lot of players from last year. So many guys going to the NFL, uh, being drafted or, or signing free agency. Uh, the secondary is one area where you could absorb 
uh, a loss like this. Now, I'm sure Harris uh, saw, uh, not Harris, uh, Monroe saw that he was, you know, down the depth chart and was not likely to get as much playing time as he could get somewhere else. You know, how much does that have to do with the the fact that Jacoby Stevens is coming back for a senior season? Because I think that was surprised to see him kind of make his return. Yeah, I, I, I said at the time, that was one of Ed Orgeron's best recruiting jobs this year was getting Jacoby Stevens back. We know he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a talented player, but he's a senior. He's experienced. Uh, he, he's, uh, he, he's a veteran. He's, he's been, you know, a guy I'm very happy for to, to see become a star. As a journalist, you can't, you can't root for the teams you cover, but you should be happy for the people that you cover. I remember Jacoby Stevens was, he was, you know, shifted around offense and defense, uh, you know, you know, back and forth and trying, trying to find a position for him. And finally he found a home. And hey, guess what? He was the most talented safety in the country, uh, going out of high school. Uh, he's the number one safety, I believe, when, when it was inside him. And he, he, look, he's flourishing in that position. And I would be, I would not be surprised. In fact, I would be surprised if he's not, uh, number 18, at least on defense. I, I think he's just a natural to, to be, to be that guy. I'd have to agree with you, Scott. I think he's definitely would be fitting to have that guy as number 18 after what we saw last year where we had two players, number 18, one of the offensive line, which wasn't officially labeled as number 18, which was just weird in and of itself. But, you know, Scott, looking at just the offensive side of the football, now you've got Nick Stores. I think that was another big thing this week was Nick Stores, a baseball player, going to go ahead and try his hand at football. Like It's wild to see how much we've seen with, like, the Paul Maneri era, and maybe even a little bit before that, with, with in the case of Chad Jones, where he was playing baseball and also playing football, seeing these kind of two-sport athletes work out quite well for LSU in the past. Well, you, you hit right. He is a big thing. He's six six two sixty two, which is enormous for for a, a baseball player, and not small for a football player. I mean, you know, he's got some good size. He's played before, and like you said, these guys are athletes. They they you know, typically came up. You know, if you're good enough to, to to play and to earn a scholarship and and, and to be considered on that level at an SEC school like LSU, you you have been able to excel at different sports. So so he yeah he's going to give it a go at, at tight end. Um, you know he's not not giving up on the baseball. Yeah, you know, he's people will probably remember Nick's been battling uh, through some injuries. Uh, over his first couple of years, uh, the shoulder and back, and finally, you know, this spring he he, he pitched uh, eight and two thirds innings, uh, but pitched well, like a one point oh four ERA. Uh, so then the few games LSU got in, so he, he's still going to want to pitch, but but he can provide some depth, you know, to LSU at, at tight end. And you look at this position where you're looking at a, a true freshman, Eric Gilbert, who was the Gatorade National Player of the Year, uh, first time ever for for a uh, tight end during that. You figure he's going to come in and, and be the starter. And Jamal, you got Jamal Pettigrew. They can, they can use some depth there. I'd agree with you. Talking right now with Scott Rabelais of The Advocate. And I think one of the other big things that everybody's talking about is Miles Brennan and what he can wind up doing after being the backup for a few years. Now that Joe Burrow's gone after the national championship, it feels like right now the hype is all around him and what he can wind up doing. And is it fair to say the fact I think maybe some – LSU fans need to temper their expectations just a little bit to where it's not necessarily, hey, this guy's going to wind up being like the next Joe Burrow instead of saying he's going to be the best Miles Brennan he can be. That's right. I mean, you know, you, the, the poor kid, I could see him th- throwing for 3,500 yards and, and 30 
six touchdowns this year, and people are going, well, that was okay. You know, <laughs> having maybe the second Isn't that best weird? or third best. It's very, it's, well, it's very weird for LSU, yeah, <laughs> you know, for, for certain. But, I mean, it's uh, – you, know, you, you can see him being that guy – who who is had like has like the, the you know the second or third or fourth best season by numbers in LSU football history because LSU still going to throw the, they're still going to throw the ball. I mean yeah, they've lost a lot of players. You lost Joe Burrow, lost Joe Brady, but they're not going back to, to what they used to do. And so um, yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's it's very strange. And, and I, I just think the the whole world this year is patience. Look, the 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 only downside to having what was probably the best season ever in college football is it's really hard for the next season to live up to that. And LSU's probably going to lose a couple of games. So how quickly they lose a game? I don't know. I think Texas, they have a real good chance to go to Florida midseason uh, undefeated. Yeah, provide the schedule is the way we, we uh, think of it. But, you know, I, I'm looking at um, 11, 12, 15, 14, 15, 16. Uh, Miles Brennan is, uh, I'm looking at some Heisman odds. He's like 16th best choice, which doesn't sound that great. Um, until you think that, that Joe Burrow was 200 to one shot at this point to win the Heisman last year. So Miles Brennan is getting a lot more respect relatively uh, compared to Joe Burrow for, from last summer, uh, because of the, the Joe Burrow effect and LSU's, uh, success and commitment to this new, new kind of offense. Miles can, Miles can make the, can make the throws. In fact, I think he has a slightly strong arm, in my opinion, than Joe Burrow did. You, you see the ball arrive very quickly. It's the leadership, it's the reading defenses, it's the keeping the plays live. I watched just some highlights of Joe last night. I was working on something, and you know some of the highlights of him keeping, you know, moving around the pocket and keeping the plays alive to the point where, with LSU sending so many people out on the route, you just couldn't cover them all. Is Miles going to be able to do that? We haven't seen him have to do that very much. And then taking taking the hits, you know, and 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 being willing to deliver that pass. You know, you're going to take a shot like Joe did. Um, at the end of the first half against Clemson, uh, when he delivered that pass, the touchdown pass to Thad Moss, put him up 28-17. They took a shot in the ribs, and he wasn't right. He said he was, wasn't hurt, but he didn't look right for, for uh, well into the third quarter there. They're taking a shot right under the chin to, for a touchdown pass to Clyde edwards helaire at, at, at Alabama just for the half. Those are the things that you want to – those are the kind of, that kind of toughness that endeared Joe uh, to help, help him win over the team when he arrived without even going through spring ball in 2018. They know Miles. They've been around him. I don't think there's that, that proving that has to go with the, with the team. But you want to, you want to do, show leadership, and you want, to be, you want your attitude to permeate the whole team, which Joe did so well. And that's something we're going to see. Can Miles Brennan do that? One more before I let you go, Scott. It's all about what's going on with the future of this program because obviously they've been able to crush it on the recruiting trail. We see them get a guy like Garrett Nussmeyer, and then we see last week getting Walker Howard on a Friday, former son of former LSU quarterback Jamie Howard, and the potential future where you got Eli Holstein and Arch Manning. All those two guys alone, like what? It just feels like right now it's the best time to be an LSU fan, largely because of the fact that it's starting to look like a dynasty is slowly but surely growing just based off of what you've been able to do at the quarterback level and all the other great spots you've been able to hit it lately in the recruiting trail. Well, it's, uh, yeah, LSU's always been recruited pretty, pretty darn high level, you know, but, but the, the fact that offensively it is, it's the big change. Uh, that you're starting to attract these, these quarterbacks like, Hey, 
I don't just, you know, you want to play there. I could thrive there. I could excel there. And, and obviously they're going to be looking to see, was it just a, a one-year thing with, with Joe or is it going to continue with Miles Redden? I, I'm betting it's going to continue. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Howard thus far, Max Johnson coming here, son of Brad Johnson, he's coming in this year uh, from, from Georgia. Uh, getting a, an in-state quarterback has been a rare thing. So I think uh, the Walker the Howard uh, coming in uh, does bear a lot of LSU girls. You're getting someone to come in and have success from in-state. It's, it's been kind of rare for LSU in, in recent years, but maybe maybe that's, that's changing too as, as offenses expand. But yeah, I think the I think the LSU brand is is very strong. Coach Ogeron is like a you know, he's like a you know going from hey you remember remember two years ago remember if we had this conversation two years ago you might have asked me. His coach was right on the hot seat. Now he's hot, <laughs> you know. He's, and 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 he's he's been become the face of this program. And you know, the Cajun accent and the, the the kind of gravelly voice has become really cool, a really cool thing that makes you unique and 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 just has expanded the brand. So yeah, I, I think they're they're gonna gonna do very well. I I think LSU, like I said, might take a step back this year, but I think on balance over the next. You know, and you can't look out too far, but you know, two, three, four, five years, I, I, I'd, be, I, I'd be surprised if LSU is not back to the college football playoff in, in, in the relatively near future. And I think it's obviously tied to their successful offense. And you got to have a dynamic quarterback. Just look at the playoff this year. All four teams, you, you had, you had high, uh, two Heisman finalists in, in the playoff. You had, uh, uh, you had uh, well, the Heisman runner-up in, uh, yeah, in Jalen Hurts. You had, you had Fields. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence, who was a big favorite coming the year, and then Joe, of course, won it. So you got to have those kind of quarterbacks, and I think LSU is in a position now to attract them, and that can't be you know, sweet music to the ears of other people around the SEC. Scott, thank you so much for coming on. We'll talk to you down the road, hopefully, once we see live bullets flying during practice. Oh, I'm looking forward to, to a practice like I never have been. <laughs> we're, t- we're, t- we're, we're looking forward to practice. That's how it is. Thank you so much for Scott Rabelais coming on, Chandler Rome as well. Wrap up the show. One final take after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Just before we close up shop here on 103.7 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. Smack Off 26 has come and gone, and without a doubt, the biggest thing that I noticed was the fact that there's a lot of the same old stuff, the SOS, and that last S I can't say on the radio because it's just the same guys. Left and Laguna, Brad and Corona, Benny and Wisco, Aya Frady, Stevie Carbone, Mark and Hollywood, Sean the Cabin Asian, guys who have just been a part of this for a long, long time, all, dating all the way back, probably in some cases, to the first ever smack off. You got to say, right here, right now, it's a lot of old school, not enough of the new school. You're not seeing a true leader in the clubhouse for the young pups out there. When it comes to Smack Off 27, I'm not seeing any really new contenders out there wanting to be ready to go. We saw Sarah T out there flame out quicker than the Human Torch. And I think at the end of the day, it's time to kind of get rid of the old hacks. These smackers that love to talk a lot of it. 
they may not be ready for what's coming because they, there needs to be a new voice in terms of smack off talk left in Laguna with his gimmicks. Brad and Corona just being an absolute joke. I don't know whether I call him Brad and Corona or Brad and COVID considering the times we're in now. Benny and Wisco with all his cheese puns. Jeff and Richmond with his walk with Elias references. I Afraidy rambling way too long. Mark in Hollywood needs to be more like once upon a time. Mark in Hollywood was relevant. Caleb in Green Bay, he's okay. He's, he's relatively new. Sean the Cablin Asian needs to get up on out of here and let some new blood come in. That's all I'm going to say there. Jimmo's the king of smack talk. The pimp in the box. Jimmo's, you know, nothing but respect for Rome. But it's time for some changes. It's time for some new blood in the smack off. So if you're out there listening, make sure you try and get that golden ticket. Secure that golden ticket before too long. I'm out of here. Have a great rest of your Saturday. we got an Astros Classic coming up next. Thank you for listening once again to Under the Dome with CD. We'll be back next week. Take it easy. Hey, Clavis! Wake up! The show's over. Oh, yeah! Kick it!